0: Gary Force, he looked like some cowboy getting off the, um, the plane. But he said he spoke the truth, and he spoke with love, and he spoke with grace. And he made a difference. And um, God, why am I wrenching? I haven't had much sleep in the last week. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing I want to say you wouldn't be sitting there, and I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for this couple. And that's the reality of it. And Wilma pay just as big a price as Gary ever did. They have mothers in the States that they left 25 years ago. They have kids in the States and grandkids in the States. And they've given that up to come and serve in this country. So um, he's gonna bring a word from God this morning, I've no doubt about that. Um, but I want us to honor him because they have paid a massive price for this country, for us. Just like we think we're going to Belarus to do something good. They came here 35 years ago and got a of all kinds of stuff, of setting up a cult and all kinds of stuff. The same thing that, listen, we all go up against at some stage. But um, but they stuck it out. And there's a phrase he always said, if you don't quit and you hang around long enough, you will see the dream come to pass. And he has seen it. And and I learned that phrase. Because all the times I've wanted to quit, loads were... Say Marx, we're Belarus, we're here. The times I've wanted to quit are the times that phrase has rang in my head. So and even being in this room is a miracle and it's based on the fact that we didn't quit. Yeah? So we wouldn't be here but for this man. So give him a massive <laughs> reading. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Come on. Come on. Well, that was a fine introduction. Yeah, now you can go to sleep and and stuff. Because I I was trying to remember when the service was. I knew, I thought he had said uh, twelve. So I texted him, and at twelve uh, thirty last night, it, Hallelujah woke me up and said to be here for twelve o'clock. So I should be awake, but the pastor had to be awake at twelve thirty, right? So, uh, but it's great to be with you. And uh, uh, you know why I'm here? Because of a relationship with these two people. Uh, this is not a tip for tat, uh, patty chill on the back thing. It's just a fact of life. And I think of, uh, you remember that old building we went and looked at? I mean, it was a and, uh, he said, well, I could see, all you know, this, and this, and I could think, this is a ratty building. It wasn't this one. It was another one. And we kept looking, and then this came on the, uh, market, became available, and so we're here. Amen? Because you don't quit in the face of discouragement. So I'm going to speak on that a little bit this morning. And, uh, but it is a, a, a privilege to be here. Uh, I was, I was thinking, uh, Noel McFarland lived in this area, and, uh, I don't know if you ever knew Noel. Uh, but uh, Noel always prayed like God was deaf. And uh, if you were right next to him after he got through praying, you were deaf for an hour or two. But anyway, uh, he believed God for a church in this area, uh, a center, a place of ministry. And even though he being dead, yet his prayers speak today. Now, he's more alive than he's ever been, actually truly. But the physical body is gone. But uh, the Lord is still here. But I remember being in the Crumlin Youth Center. Uh, 30, probably 33 years ago, or 34 years ago, showing Cross and Switchblade film. And we got, uh, uh, there were only room for 60 young people there. And the word had got out, there was this great film being shown. So uh, they locked the doors with 60. Uh, and there was probably 100 outside. And uh, they caused havoc. I mean, right in the middle of the film, there's this huge fight scene. And, and uh, just as this fight scene comes on, uh, the electricity goes off, and the place was as dark as it could be, and uh, the the young people in the hall begin to reenact what they'd just seen on the screen. And we finally got it stopped, and uh, of course, the young people outside that couldn't get in had switched off the electricity. And uh, so we made it through the first uh, segment. Put on the second reel. That was a 16 millimeter days, and uh, halfway through the second reel, the same thing happened. And I can remember standing over this piece of equipment, trying to protect it, and and, and finally, uh, uh, I had taught school uh, a few uh, years before, and I knew how to tell uh, uh, how to tell students to be quiet. And So I just shouted in this strong American accent, "Everybody, sit down and shut up." Uh, and the pastor that was leading it that didn't know what to do with it, even he sat down and shut up. <laughs> so we finished the film. Uh, I felt like absolutely had wasted my time. Uh, I had a bunch of Cross the Switchblade booklets I was handing out and got in my car and uh, started and got home. And the next morning I got a call and uh, uh, an individual, a young man said to me, uh, Are you Mr. Challenge? And I had no idea he was talking to us. I said, you have the wrong number. He said, no, it says here on this book, uh, Mr. Choward. And it, actually what it was on the inside of the book, it said Teen Challenge, uh, uh, Christian Center, Whiteville uh, House, Ballybrack. And so all he figured out was my name was Challenge. So I said, yeah, that's my name. Uh, and uh, ended up talking with him. Found out he he was heading home for the pub that night, and his book was laying on the ground. He picked it up, took it home, read it, finished it about seven or eight in the morning. It said, "If you if you would like to have what Nikki Cruz has, ask Jesus to come in your heart." There was the the prayer. He prayed the prayer. Then it said, "Call somebody that you know is born again and tell him what Jesus has done in your life." So he said he didn't know anybody, but Mr. Challenge. So he called me, I prayed with him, sent him some material. You sow good seed and you'll get a harvest. You keep sowing good seed. In fact, it's next week, uh, the ninth, or uh, the week after, May the ninth. That was 36 years since we came. And uh, so, uh, and after three months, I, I said I was going to leave. And uh, if I could ever get the money together, I probably would. But I haven't. So God's good. Amen? I was in with my... Uh, uh picking up some prescriptions for my uh, GP the other day. And uh, he, uh, John and uh, Linda Latham, great Christian couple, and they've worked with us in Teen Challenge for years. And uh, John wasn't there. Linda saw me. We ended up catching up and so on. And then she said, uh, Gary, you know why, I'm in t- why we work with Teen Challenge? I said, no. She said, because uh, when I was 12 years old, You came to Tremor, to the Ursula Convent. You showed the film. You asked people if they'd like to pray. You prayed a simple prayer, God touched my life. And from that day forward, I've had a burden for it. You plant good seed. Now, she's possibly in her 40s or so now. But you plant good seed and you get a harvest. Keep planting the good seed. Trust in the seed and you'll get a harvest. You're the result of good seed being planted. And the Lord's good. Amen? Good to see my... uh, Uh, My good young friend, Fran, you liked that, didn't you? You appreciated that, didn't you? You see, sometimes we make mistakes even when we're preaching. But anyway, good to see Fran and and the boys. And uh, uh, Fran uh, was uh, with us in the early years of St. Mark's and a great blessing. In fact, Fran, the other day I was going through some notes and I found a prophetic word that you gave me. Powerful word. And God has fulfilled it. You still need to be given those words in the body of Christ. Amen. Look with us in the book of 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, and uh, verse 1. The book of 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, and verse 1. And I uh, will read you a story about one of my favorite characters in the Scripture. How are you, Martin? Good to see you back here. Bless you, friend. Amen. Yes, it's kind of like a family reunion here, right? We'll all go out after it. No. Anyway, uh, 1 Samuel 30th chapter, uh, verse 1. And just go over in the uh, book of Genesis, start going right. And by the time you get there, I'll probably be through. But Anyway, uh, and then it happened. This is the story of David. And uh, David uh, is in a difficult place in his life. He finds himself there very often. And because of his difficulty and his response in those difficulties, we today, the church of Jesus Christ, 20, uh, nearly 3,000 years later, are still being blessed by his correct response to times of difficulty, disappointment, even death, and how he responded. Now, uh, David, uh, these are, this is a few years after uh, David had taken down the giant Goliath. Uh, and uh, he is fleeing before the man who probably saved his kingdom for Saul. And uh, he's been forced to flee like a common criminal. Simply because Saul was so insecure and jealous, he couldn't cope with the fact that people honored David even above him. You know, he should have rejoiced in the fact that he had in some ways perhaps mentored David And David went to another level. But he couldn't. Sometimes that happens in in the lives of individuals, especially as they get older. They get in that point in life where they feel like nobody could do it as well as they could do it. And if somebody's successful, then something must be wrong because nobody could be as great as they are. My feeling is this. If I have done a good job, if I have put good seed into... Uh, each two generations that I've been privileged to work with in this nation, I expect them to do better than I've ever done, be greater than I've ever been, because they stand on my shoulders, they stand on their father's shoulders that I mentored, and they'll see father and do more, and I rejoice in that. I rejoice in the fact that I'm working with young men and women that are building congregations that are much larger than I ever, than I ever was able to build myself. And I rejoice in that because I still believe our future is, our future is greater than our past in Jesus' name. But unfortunately, Saul didn't see it that way. So now he's been forced to flee and what's happened people of misery, and, and he has all of these people around him. The Bible speaks of him being discouraged and disappointed and in debt, and they end up flocking to him, and he has a small army of them. Now, he is out foraging for, for uh, food for his family, and uh goes back to Ziklag, and this is what's happened. It happened that when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on Nekev and Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burnt with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until there was no strength in them to weep any longer. Then David's two wives had been taken captive. Moreover, David was greatly distressed, because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered. You see, you work with hurting people, and they hurt you. He was as hurting as much as they were, Plus, he was the leader responsible. And yet, they turned their anger and their grief and their fury upon him, and they determined to take his life. And uh, so the Scripture says that they were against him, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Another translation says, And David encouraged himself from the Lord. Say that word with me. Encouraged. Say it again encouraged. David strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. There's an ancient fable that I read many years ago, and it's supposedly the devil's auction. And uh, many of his wares were on sale. There was the dagger of fear, the strangling noose of hatred, and the sword of jealousy. But standing alone, separate from all of these diabolical weapons, that he used was the most insidious weapon it stood alone it was actually on a pedestal and a spotlight was on it this one instrument that if he ever let go he would be out of business in a short period of time and it was simply called the thin wedge of discouragement the thin wedge of discouragement if i ask you to raise your hands How many have ever known discouragement in your life? All of us would raise our hands. And those that didn't will pray for you that God will forgive you for lying. He prizes this above all other weapons. Because he knows it can be so demoralizing and enfeebling. The effects that it has on the life of the individual seeking to live as they should. While all the other instruments... In the lives especially of those that are immature and unwise, can bring difficulty. Discouragement may cause a person to sit down, be full of self-pity, and do nothing. So we know where our narrative is at today. This is the point he finds himself in. Surrounded by a group of angry, embittered, grieving individuals. Here's a man that has lost his first wife, has been taken away. His occupation has been taken away. His best friend, Jonathan, he can no longer be with him. Even his pastor, the great prophet Samuel, he's not allowed to go near. Even his king, who he had great respect for and honored, was against him. He faced what some might call situational depression. I have known great loss in my life. I've known times I've been personally misunderstood, disappointed, known loneliness. But I tell you, I have never faced what David faced at this time. A few years ago, a pastor friend mine and, and I were visiting. And we began to speak about a uh, dear friend who had started out in pastoral work the same as we had. I said, whatever happened to Jimmy? That's not actually his name. I'm amazed how these... Uh, Messages get out, so I have to change names anymore. But actually, that wasn't his name. But I said, whatever happened to Jimmy? He said, you know, he quit. And he said, he's went to the mountains. He bought a plot of land, and he's raising goats. I said, well, that'll be good. If he ever goes back into pastoral ministry, that'll help him with his skills to work with sheep and the few goats that may show up. But you know, actually, my our friend is not alone. Listen to what David says in Psalm 55. Fear and trembling have come upon me. He said, And horror has overwhelmed me, that if I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten away from this place of stormy wind, in tempest. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet says, Oh, that I had a, in the desert, a lodging place for travelers. So I might leave my people and go away from him for they're all adulterers and a crowd of unfaithful. But that was a discouraged pastor, wasn't it? They're all adulterers and a crowd of unfaithful people. Now we know in our study of scriptures, that David, the psalmist, who we're speaking about today, and Jeremiah, the prophet, who authored the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations, they did never surrender to that dreadful disease, the discouragement. They never gave up, even though they gave it a serious thought at time. May I also tell you that my friend Jimmy, that I told you about, sold that land, got rid of his goats, and went back into shepherding and taking care of God's sheep but there are times that we want to quit so you see we're actually in good company when that happens first of all how do we how do we deal with discouragement in our life first of all we simply recognize its existence Warren Bennis is a leadership guru and and uh has written a number of books on strategy and on leadership uh and, and on uh, uh planning preparing and uh He did research many a number of years ago, and he looked at two group of successful leaders. One in the 1930s, in the time of what is commonly called in history the Great Depression that affected the entire world. Probably sold the seeds for World War II. And and he looked at the lives of these leaders and how the fact that uh, they... Uh, They were super successful and actually led the Allies to victory in World War II. And he compared them with a group of business leaders in the 1980s, separated by 50 years and two generations. And as he studied the reasons of their success, he actually found one common denominator. There was one thread that ran through this, through their lives. They had all known the crucible experience and overcome it. They had all known what it was to have to to overcome great times of discouragement, even of depression, and yet remain faithful and remain successful. How you face and handle discouragement in my 36 years. I've seen many people in many different groups sent out by many different uh, mission organizations from the United States, even from Australia and and, uh, Singapore and various places in the world come to Ireland and come with a great uh, vision and a great dream and a great desire that I think was planted in the majority of their hearts, not all of them, but in the majority of their hearts by God himself. And I've watched them get rid of what they had after a few years, get discouraged, and go home. I think of a couple that were in a in a small, very small community of Navin. And they, they plowed faithfully there for several years. But after three years, they got so discouraged, they left. They left about eight to twelve people. And they came to me and they asked me, uh, is there any way I could find somebody to work with these people? I said, uh, I said, I do have someone, but I said, I don't have the finance to help them. If you put together a finance to help them for the next five years, I've got a great couple to put there. And they said to me, uh, well, how old are they? Well, I didn't tell them that Jamie and Lud Cochran were only 21 years old. I didn't tell them they'd never pastored before. But I did say God had put something in my heart for this couple. And I believed in this couple. And, And they were so happy to get out of here that they were willing to take anybody. You see, there's a difference between shifting a burden and handing on the baton. There's a difference between just simply unloading something and believing God... To let the next generation continue the work. And uh, so we uh, worked with them. We placed Jamie and them. After they had committed to me. I told how old they were. And they kind of looked at each other. I said but, but I'll stand with them. And I'll believe you. Well they wanted to get out anyway. So they left. But Jamie and Lud have been faithful there. They went through real difficulty there. But now Easter, on Easter Sunday. They had four services. And they had 650 people in Navin. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Let me tell you, God is faithful. You see, somebody threw in the towel on what God really wanted to do in a small community. And you see, whenever you're struggling, when you're discouraged, you can sometimes quit. I was, uh, I was in Scotland for about four or five days, and I, and I was speaking with a, uh, I was to speak to a group of leaders. Uh, and so as I was preparing, I, I went back and, and uh, I was looking at, uh, at my files and so on, and, and I found a story about the life of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. Now, most of you probably have never heard of Spurgeon, but Spurgeon was a mega pastor and preacher before they were mega pastors and preachers were popular. Nobody even used that kind of term And when he was in his early 20s, he was already leading a congregation of 6,000 people and and, uh, became known as not only a great pastor and a great leader, but has often been called the prince of preachers and is considered the greatest preacher of the 19th century. His books and sermons are still read today and still encouragement to individuals. He was a contemporary with the great Hudson Taylor one of the, the great Chinese missionary, he was a uh, contemporary with George Mueller who, who established the orphan homes and one of the greatest books you can read is his autobiography and how he believed God for God to, to give him the finance to feed thousands of children in a very desperate time. Spurgeon counted the prime minister as one of his best friends. And yet Spurgeon was was simply struggled with the whole thing of melancholy and depression and discouragement all of the years that he was in ministry. In fact, in, in one time he said he would retire to his garden and he would be crying, I have the blackest heart. In all of Britain. Other times he would lament. Lord I have never loved you more than now. Yet my spirit is so low. What is happening? This is a godly man who wrote these words as well. God is too good to be unkind. Too wise to be mistaken. When you cannot trace his hand. You can always trust his heart. Is that good? Listen to those words. This is a man that struggled at times. Yet he 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 persevered stubbornly in his faith. He said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to know that God is still for you. The enemy has voted against you. God has voted for you. You respond to God and he is there. You may not be able to see his hand, but you can trust his heart no matter the situation. David declared, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you know, sometimes we we think about the shadow of death. Yes, he says, there are times of discouragement that may feel like death has visited us. But the psalmist didn't say, he didn't, uh, he didn't stay, he said, as we walk through the valley. Say that with me. Through the valley. You see, we weren't made to take up residence in the valley. As a redeemed children of God, we are not equipped to stay in the valley all the time. God has a mountaintop experience for us uh, and uh, it, it's how you respond it's how you respond when the difficulties come I, w- I was just thinking of the I was just thinking of the eagle and, and, and as I was looking at this and uh, overcoming and thinking of overcoming disappointments and discouragements in our life and and you know when the storm comes, and the storms will come. The storms will come. As one preacher said, if you're not in the storm, you're either going in or you're coming out. Storms come, and, and the more you're committed to what God has called you to do, the more the storms will come. In fact, I believe when God puts a dream in a heart... When God puts a goal in our spirit, God puts a vision for a place called Hope Center in Crumlin, that the enemy of our soul puts a bullseye on the back of a couple like Brian and Anne, and says, I will take them down. But you know, there's a people that have their back that sometimes take the arrow. I was in a meeting three weeks ago where a good friend was being taken down, and I went to him. And I said to him, I said, you're in a foxhole and I've got your back and they'll get me before they get you. You know why? Because I've had people do that for me all my life. I've had people take the arrows for me. So we take the arrows for one another and God gives us grace. And as I prayed with my dear friend, I saw, in fact, the Lord gave me a message out of it. Thought about preaching it today, but I'll come back and do it some other time. But I, but I, 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 the Lord showed me as I laid hands on my friend, I saw like a vision of of uh, Paul at Malta, whenever they had survived the shipwreck, and 276 souls have been saved. And, and as they're, they're as they're as as they're all around a big fire built by the inhabitants, Paul goes and gets more wood and throws on the fire. I like people that keep building the fire in times of discouragement. And he throws more wood on the fire. And as he does, a viper comes out and fastens itself to him, which usually meant, that always meant certain death. And uh, what did he do? You remember? Shook it off. He's like a, sh- And I saw that as I was praying for my friend, and I said, you're to shake this off, brush it off like it's a mosquito. Of course, mosquitoes can be pretty tough sometimes. <laughs> you brush it off, and you shake it off. And so here, in the time of the storm, the vultures and the crows and the ravens head for the ground, head for cover... But the eagle flies into the heart. It loves the storm. You know why? Because if it can get to the, to the outside into the center of the storm, the eagle knows that in the heart of the storm are these thermal updrafts that are generated by the storm. And when it gets in the very heart of the storm itself, it extends its wings as far as it can. And literally, effortlessly, the thermal updrafts take it Till it soars above the storm. You see, you go into the storm and you put out, somebody says, you put out your wings of prayer and praise. And you catch the thermal updrafts and it it soars you and just throws you and releases you. And you know what's above the storm? The sun is. But I tell you, above the storm of our life is not issue not in light. It's S-O in light. And you soar out of the storm and the eagle is so equipped. The eagle has actually two eyelids. One is just the normal eyelid, but the other it drops it down when it soars high and it can look into the face of the sun that would normally blind others. But because of the nature of the eagle, it looks into the sun and it's not blinded and its strength is restored. You hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you that in the time of the storm, you catch the thermal updrafts and you let the storm take you into the very midst of His presence. You look into the face of God, but because you're redeemed, your very nature enables you to look into the face and the heart of God and your strength is restored. Give the Lord a hand. Come on. That's where God wants us to live. David was an eagle saint. David had that ability to let the storm actually carry him into his very presence. But not only that, we also acknowledge that not only does it exist, discouragement, but the Bible says in David, strengthened himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Well, has been gone for two weeks. And uh, that's what happens to you when you get grandchildren. She's, she'll, I don't, I never doubted she would ever leave me for anybody else. And then, but when the 14 month old granddaughter shows up, she's gone. And now, friend, we have a great grandchild. I mean, Wilma's looking good for a great grandchild. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, shame about Gary. No, anyway, I, uh, but, uh, she just got back Friday. So we were walking yesterday and talking and uh, just talking about how the years have went by. A friend and I were talking before the meeting and his baby daughter's twenty eight. I said, Mine's gonna be oh, thirty eight. <laughs> <laughs> See the memory's the first thing to go. <laughs> Will she be thirty nine? I'm going to have to go sit down. I'm tired thinking about it, but we were walking, it, and uh, we were just talking about how the years come and go. And I said, you know, it was 51 years ago this week that it took you to, for want of a better term, we understand uh, we'd call it our prom or whatever in the States. We'd only been going out a couple of months together and uh, went to pick her up. She had on this magnificent white formal and I had on my cheap J.C. Penny suit, and uh, and we were just talking about. It. And now, fifty-one years later, we've known love, joy, disappointment, and heartache. But woman's my soulmate, and there's been only a few times that she hadn't been able to lift me up. But there have been times that the disappointment, and the heartache, was so great. That even Wilma couldn't lift me up, and at that point, I encourage myself in the Lord. We we read the song, and the team led us in the song. uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That that's that's David. David's telling his heart. He's saying, you know, we're a trying being. Uh, soul body and spirit so he he talks to his emotional part of his of his being his soul and he said bless the lord oh my soul and don't forget any of his benefits bless the lord oh my soul three times a day i take this physical body to the table and i feed it because it demands it and sometimes when it doesn't demand that i still feed it amen So then I have to take the spiritual man to the table of the Lord and say to my physical body, we're going whether you want to or no. And I had to feed that spiritual man. So he says to that soulish person, that emotional seed, that seed of his emotions, bless the Lord, O my soul. David said, or Paul said, in everything give thanks. Some people get it wrong. They say for everything. Then I had cancer just a few years ago. I didn't. Thank God for cancer. When I lost my brother 11 years ago, I didn't thank God for losing my brother. When we lost an elder and a deacon in St. Mark's, Noel and Tony, I didn't thank God for losing them. But in the midst of it, you still give thanks. Now, how do you do that? You do that because you're being obedient. And when you're obedient, it opens up a whole area in your life. And the Bible says, literally, that's the will of God in Jesus Christ for you and I, in everything, give thanks. Finally, David did not sit until he died. You can sit and soak and sour, or you can encourage yourself in the Lord and encourage others. An old preacher that had influenced me as a very young Christian said, you can sit on the stool of do-nothing It will give you something to do, but it will never get you anywhere. David was alone, but remember, he also had lost his wives, his children. He was in the midst of great personal grief and the loss of his comrades. that were determined to put the blame on him, even though they came to him. He never went to them. They came to him and sought him and asked him to be their leader. And yet, listen to his response. He doesn't panic. He doesn't flee. He doesn't get the next plane back to America, wherever he's going. He doesn't get into a slough of self-pity. The Bible said he inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? Now, the obvious thing was to go get his family, right? But David, the man after God's own heart, that knows what worked yesterday may not work today. Yesterday's strategy will not build the church today. Yesterday's strategy that helped you overcome what may not help you overcome today or tomorrow. So he inquires the Lord, "Should I?" And the Lord says, "Pursue them. You shall overtake them. You will rescue all. Say all. Everybody is going to be redeemed and brought back." The man after going with God's own heart does not presume that he should do the obvious, but he continues to seek God's. Guidance and direction even in a tragic situation. No matter how difficult the situation, no matter how discouraged you are, don't give up. The Lord has brought you this far. He didn't bring you here to abandon you, but in the words of the great shepherd song, He leadeth us through, say it with me, through, He leadeth us through the valley. We don't take up residence there. I was talking to my mom the day before yesterday. Mom will be ninety-five years old. She's confined to a wheelchair for the last 10 or 11 years. Last, uh, just uh, went to bring her home for Christmas. And on her way there last year, she was saying, well, I'm going to finish going through my Bible, I think, for the 39th time. And she said, "Uh, I'd like to look at it a little different. Have you got some ideas? And I said, well, why don't you do the chronologically? No, I've already done that. Well, why don't you do this?